Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henn. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel, Ohio. And so our text tonight is Luke chapter 16, verse 18. Luke chapter 16, verse 18. And our message is entitled, What God Says About Divorce. And what does God say about divorce? Well, Luke 16, verse 18. You there? You there? (laughs) Everybody with me tonight? Okay, good deal. All right. Jesus is speaking here, and he says this, verse 18. Everyone who divorces. Now, the context here, what you need to understand is that the Pharisees in this, in this day, they would teach that, listen, if, if, if your wife burnt the dinner, she's out. You can divorce her, you know. If she's not meeting your needs, she's not making you happy, you can get rid of her, you know. If you're not attracted to her anymore, well, hey, you know, life's short, you know, get a new one. And so Jesus comes along, and he's kind of pushing back against this high divorce culture mentality. It's not unlike our divorce culture today, where you talk to most people today. Most of the people that I interact with, listen, expect to be divorced. They expect to be married more than once in their life. And so listen, Jesus is pushing back against that kind of mentality. And he says in verse 18, again, Jesus says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman, divorced from her husband, commits adultery. And so what Jesus is saying here, listen, all the ideas that you have, all the things that you've come up with, that you've made up on your own that are grounds for divorce, God's not for. God does not approve of them. You're causing people to violate their covenant of marriage, and you're causing them to commit adultery. Well, the question comes in, what are the biblical grounds for divorce What does God say about divorce so that we can understand clearly what Jesus is saying here and what he is not saying? And so listen, tonight, what we're going to do real quick is we're going to take a look at what does God say about marriage, and then second, we'll look at where divorce is permissible. So let's start with what God says about marriage. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. That's the very first book in the Bible, so it's about two or three pages in in your your Bible. It should be anyway. Genesis chapter 2, all the way to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
That is, listen, the marriage relationship is the first institution, the first human institution established in all of creation. And it was created, and it was designed, and it was defined by God himself. And so write this down in your notes. God created and designed marriage for one man and one woman for one lifetime. God created and designed marriage for one man and one woman for one lifetime. And the permanence of marriage that God designed is emphasized in two phrases in this passage in Genesis 24, in the phrase, hold fast and in one flesh. So let's take a look at that again. Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast. That is, we're to leave and cleave. And so that, that word hold fast is the Hebrew word debek. And so that, that word means to cleave, to hold fast, to stick to, to bond in a permanent way. And so here's God's design. We leave our mom and dad, and then we cleave to our spouse. That is, we're not to have multiple partners. God's design is one man, one woman in a permanent bond for a lifetime. For example, if you were to superglue two wooden boards together, you would create a permanent bond between those two boards. And so then if you look to rip apart those two boards, listen, they don't rip apart cleanly, do they? They, they splinter, they break in different places because that superglue has bonded them. So when you try to rip them apart, it splinters. And listen, it's the same way when it comes to our relationships. So this idea that we can go in and out of relationships and it's no big deal, that is not true. When we go in and out of relationships, listen, we leave splinters of ourselves in those people's lives. It's not clean. It's messy. Genesis 2.24 again. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now that word one in the Hebrew is the word akkad. And akkad is one of plurality. It's actually a word that is used of God, that is used to describe God. In the famous Shema passage, which is found in Deuteronomy 6.4, you can look on the screen. In Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. That is akkad, a one of plurality. That is God is one three in one. And so in the same way, 
that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are mysteriously one. The husband and wife are mysteriously one. That is, they become one flesh. And that oneness, listen, is one in purpose, one in will, one in direction, one in vision, one in every possible way. It becomes one in the sense that it is a new family unit. It is every level of oneness. It is spiritual oneness. It is emotional oneness. It is physical oneness. But listen, sex is way more than physical, right? It's talking about one flesh. It it is way more than a physical thing that is happening when a man and a woman comes together. But Satan tries to, you know, downplay that. Satan tries to sell a different thing. He tries to make it sound like, you know, you're thirsty, so you go get a drink of water. It's just a bodily function. You're thirsty, you go get a drink. Sex is the same. It's just sex. You just take care of it. No big deal. Well, there's way more according to the designer and creator of who we are that is going on when a man and woman are joined together. Well, ultimately, Jesus actually quotes this verse, Genesis 2, 24, when he's teaching on divorce again in Matthew 19. But he adds this in verse 6. He says this, take a look on the screen. Jesus says, so they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Well, let's go on and see what else God has to say about marriage. Turn to Malachi chapter 2. Now, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament before you get to the New Testament. So the easiest way to find it is to kind of go back to Luke and turn backwards to, goes Luke, Mark, Matthew, then Malachi, Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2, it's a small book, and it's right before you get to Matthew. I like to hear those pages. Thanks, everybody. Well done. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. This is God speaking to God's people. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Okay, so this is what's going on here. Here's the background. Some believers who are men, men who believe in God, they were dumping their old wives and they were marrying younger, hotter wives who didn't believe in God. And so listen, God's favor was removed from them. And so now they're coming back to God and they're crying and they're in tears because things are bad in their life. But listen, they aren't tears of repentance They're not coming back going, God, we sinned against you. We sinned against our wives. We're confessing that. We're turning from that. We're turning back to you. Please, 
you know, cover our sin. They're like, you know, God, we're sorry. Would you, would you please look past that and, and be good to us again so we can go back to ignoring you and sinning and doing what we want to do? Verse 14. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. That is, when you get married, God is present. And God is, listen, the witness at that wedding. To whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by what? By covenant. Did he not make them one? Again, God is the one who makes you one. And we'll see here that the Holy Spirit is involved in that. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? What? Godly, what? Offspring. That is, the home is the primary place where discipleship is supposed to happen. Listen, we have to have a vision for that. Gentlemen, I'm going to say something to you. And I know it hasn't been modeled well for you. It certainly wasn't for me. It was something I had to figure out on my own. But it was true nonetheless. Hear me. You are the pastors of your home. You are the one who is responsible to disciple your kids and your wife. You are the one who is responsible to create a godly atmosphere in that home. And listen, that's hard. That is really, really hard. In fact, the greatest leadership challenge is first of all yourself, right? The hardest person to lead in the world is first of all the guy in the mirror. But the second hardest place to lead, even harder than at your business, is in the home. And so listen, you've got to have the Holy Spirit and you've got to know the Word and you've got to have a vision for what that is. You, you need to bring your best creativity, your best energy, your best sense of what is my family about and, and what do I want them to believe and what do I want them to know and what do I want them to do so that when they leave, they are ready to face a godless culture and they can stand That's a whole nother sermon. I'll get off on some things, so we'll come back to that someday. Verse 15 continues. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be 
faithfulness. That is, write this down, what God says about marriage. God created marriage as a covenant. God created marriage as a covenant. And so what we see here is betrayal of that marriage covenant breaks the heart of God because it brings pain and hurt. But it also brings God's judgment because God is just. He doesn't look the other way when we act unjustly. I think it's interesting here that we note that God uses the word covenant when it comes to marriage. Because in our culture, we use the word contract. Listen, a contract means that I will do what I'm supposed to do if you do what you're supposed to do. But if either one of us does not fulfill what we're supposed to do, then this contract is null and void. That is how the world approaches marriage and relationships. A covenant doesn't say that. A covenant says... God was the witness of our union. God is the one who has joined us together, and therefore I will never leave you or forsake you. That's covenant. Now, one of the practical outflowings of a covenant mentality in marriage is this. Before Vicki and I got married, we, we made a decision a commitment to one another to never use the D word in our, in our relationship. The D word being divorce. To, to never threaten it, to not say it, to not even go there. It's not an option. Take it off the table completely. Well, I can confess to you, and I'm sure my wife would let you know even quicker <laughs> that we've had some difficult times in our marriage where we've been more than tempted to go there. But listen, because we made that commitment, we didn't. But if we hadn't have made that commitment, I am positive we would have gone there. That is, listen, when it comes to marriage, hear me, you have to put both feet in. And this idea of testing the waters, making sure that person fulfills their part, that one foot in, one foot out, let's see what's going on, it doesn't work. You got to put both feet in. You got to close the escape hatch on that relationship, lock, bolt it, and throw away the key. Because listen, I don't care how great your marriage is. Every single marriage, hear me, every single marriage, because of the pressure, because of the difficulty, because of the confusion of two selfish people coming together, 
because of the baggage that you come from, from your hurt, from your sin, because of the world that's looking to pull you apart at every possible angle, because of that pressure, because of those things assailing against your relationship. If you have not decided to take that off the table, those things will, I guarantee you, pull you apart. So listen, we need to understand that God created and designed marriage for one man, one woman, for one lifetime. And God says marriage is a covenant. And a covenant mentality is so, so different than a contract mentality. The vision for marriage The vision for life is so, so different from our culture, from our world. Do you see what God paints for us and then what we're supposed to reveal is so diametrically the opposite direction of the world? And the only way that you're going to know that is to align yourself with God's Word, man. The only way you're going to hear that or see that or know to move in that direction is to hear what God has to say. And His way is so much better. It is so much more beautiful. It is so much more glorious than a selfish relationship like the world that just bounces from the one to the next and and just chases the next buzz in the relationship. Well, that's what God says about marriage. Let's look real quick at what God says in terms of divorce being permissible. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that's in the New Testament. Those Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Thanks for hanging with me with all this Bible drills tonight. So 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. This is the Apostle Paul. Verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And so write this down. Divorce is permissible when the unbelieving spouse bails on the marriage. Divorce is permissible when the unbelieving spouse bails on the marriage. Now here are just a a couple examples of what that might be like. That is, you know, sometimes a Christian will marry a non-Christian, which isn't the right thing to do, and, you know, they need to confess that and that sort of thing. But ultimately, that non-Christian doesn't have the same standards and they abandon them. That's one scenario. Or sometimes what happens is two unbelievers get married and ultimately one of them comes to the Lord and the other one's like, hey, I didn't sign up for that. I I didn't marry some Jesus freak. I'm out of here. Or what happens sometimes is you have two people that are professing believers 
And yet at some point in that marriage, one of them decides to walk away from the Lord. One of them says, yeah, I don't want anything to do with the Bible. I don't want anything to do with church. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I'm out of here. Or they'll put down an ultimatum. Listen, if you want to go to church and, and, and you want to press those things, then, then I'll leave. And, and so if somebody puts down an ultimatum like that, you need to say this, you know, I love you. I want our marriage to work. I think that's God's will. But listen, I have to put Jesus first. And so if that's what you you got to do, then you go do it. Skip down to verse 39. Verse 39. It says this. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. So write this down. Death ends the marriage covenant. Death ends the marriage covenant. The Bible teaches that we are not married in heaven. There is no marriage in heaven. That's good news for some. Other people go, ah. <laughs> there, there is no marriage in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean we don't take the closeness of our relationship into eternity. We certainly do. But there is no marriage and so the surviving spouse is free to remarry someone else with one qualification, that that person loves Jesus. Because the whole purpose of marriage, the very first purpose of marriage is to mirror God's image, is to mirror God's glory, is to mirror Jesus' love for the church is to create godly offspring. Well, you cannot do that unless you are both on the same page, unless Jesus is both in you and you both believe in God's word. That is not going to happen. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. That's right after Malachi. If it's past, so it goes Luke, then Mark. Then Matthew, he hit Malachi, he went too far, come back. Matthew chapter 5, and just for promo for next week, we're talking about hell, by the way, so invite your friends. Seriously. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Jesus is speaking here, and, and really, he, this is the same conversation that he had in Luke. It's just that Matthew here, he gives us more details to what that conversation was like. So let's take a look. Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That is, listen, again, the Pharisees were giving them out for any and every reason. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so write this down. Divorce is permissible 
for sexual immorality. Divorce is permissible for sexual immorality. Now that word for sexual immorality in the Greek is the Greek word pornea, where we get our English word pornography. And pornea is a junk drawer term. Now, do you have a junk drawer in your house that just has anything and everything in it? You know that junk drawer, rubber bands, flashlights, scissors, I don't know, stuff. Pornea is a junk drawer term. It refers to any and every sexual activity outside a marriage covenant between one man and one woman for one lifetime. So whatever our culture can dream up, pornea covers it. Incest, bestiality, adultery, addiction to pornography, whatever. You, you, whatever it is, covered by pornea. Divorce is permissible for someone who is practicing any of those things. And so listen, those are the grounds for biblical divorce. Now there's some other questions I get asked often or some other scenarios. I just want to throw them out real quick. It's not all of them. It's just some common ones. One of them is, you know, well, what if before I came to Christ, I got a divorce? Well, you, you are free to remarry someone with one qualification. What? That they, they know Jesus. They, they love Jesus. Second, uh, I'm asked sometimes, well, you know, what if I'm a believer and I did get divorced for the wrong reason or not for a biblical reason and, and I got remarried, what do I do now? Well, listen, you, you repent just like you would of any other sin. You, you repent, you confess it to God, you ask God to forgive you, you reconcile the best you can with your former spouse. Sometimes it's possible, sometimes it's not. And then you make the best of the marriage that you're, you're in. You walk forward in God's grace. That's what we do, right? You, you walk forward in God's grace and you trust Christ's blood to cover your sin. A third common one that I'm asked is, well, what about if I'm in an abusive relationship? Well, let me make this clear. I, I think we probably all understand this, but if you're in one, you may need to hear it. You should never, ever endure an abusive relationship, whether it is emotional or physical, you should get out. You should separate. And then listen, you, need, you really need to seek wise counsel about, about what that looks like and about how to move forward from there. I can't cover every scenario in, in this message. But you should not put up with it. Now this is what I know. When Jesus is really in a marriage, he makes all the difference. When, when Jesus is really there, he makes all the difference in your marital success. That is, when each individual in that marriage is praying daily, is in God's word daily, 
is asking the Holy Spirit to fill them daily, is allowing Jesus to rule over their hearts so they're starting their day with God. You know, how can I glorify you today? How can I love my spouse well today? How can I love my kids well today? That they're submitting to Christ. They're following Christ. They're, they're, they're walking with Jesus daily. And the, and the spouse is doing the same. And listen, they pray together. They talk about the word, the word together. The Word is a part of their home. They teach it to their kids formally and informally. It is a part of their conversation. And ultimately, that the Word defines everything they do. That is, harmony in a marriage comes from being on the same page. And the way that you get on the same page, I've said this a million times, it's true of so many things, you get on the same page by, here's the same page, by believing in God's Word. And so listen, it's not what you think, it's not what I think, it's not how our parents did it. It's not how I was raised. It's not what all the experts in culture say. It's not what all the magazines say. It's not what everybody else says. It is, what does God say? What does God say about our marriage? What does God say to me about what it means for me to be a godly husband, a godly dad? What does God say to you about what it means for you to be a godly wife, a godly mother. What does God say about where our finances should go? What does God say about what our entertainment should be? How we should spend our time? What does God say about what our parenting should look like? What does God say about what our life should be lived for and where we should be headed? What is the vision for this marriage, and what are we pursuing, and what are we helping our kids to pursue? What does God say that should look like? And I believe that, and I submit to that. We both follow that. We both believe God's Word. We both submit to God's Word And you will have marital harmony. You will have marital success. But I see this all the time with professing Christians. That harmony is not there. Because your opinion, your wants, what you think is better, trumps God's word. And you have discord and disharmony in your marriage every time. See, it's not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's easy to see. And so here's my challenge. My challenge is that whether you're looking to marriage, whether you're in a marriage, whether you're healing from a mistake, whatever it may be, God's here to heal you. God's here to realign you, God's here to prepare you, whatever situation you're in, that tonight, tonight, either together or as you look to the future, you decide, 
I am going to make God's word my authority. I am going to follow what he says. I am going to submit my desires, my ideas, what I think is right, the way I, all that stuff. I am submitting to what God tells me to do because I trust him. I trust him as the creator and designer of this thing. Then he knows how to make this thing work best. He knows how to bring the best blessing to this relationship and ultimately to our kids and ultimately to how then we work together as a body of Christ. You know, all these things apply to us as a body of Christ because we're a family. And just like people keep abandoning their marriage relationships, what, what, is, what, is hap- what happens in a church when you get bumped by somebody? They're gone. Where in God's word does God define the family that way? We must, we must, must, must submit ourselves to the word of God. We are people of the word. This is God's voice clearly revealed to us. Not that we can't hear him on top of that, but here's the clear one. And we've got to submit our own flesh. We've got to submit our own selves, our own thoughts and opinions to that. And it will bring harmony in our marriage, harmony in our home, harmony in this family as well. Because God has order, right? God's a God of order, right? Not a God of chaos. And and the culture will get more chaotic because they're rejecting God's word, right? It's easy to see. But... We're going to live different. Remember last week we say we're, we're going the opposite direction. We're going up the current. We're going that way. You with me? You with me? All right. All right. And listen, you can't do it without God's power. Listen, if you feel like, you know, when I think about leading this church or when I think about leading my home, I, I am totally inadequate. Totally, totally freaks me out. Freaked me out more when I was younger. I didn't have a clue. I, I didn't know what, like I would read that word, like I'm supposed to love my wife, like Jesus died for the church, and I'm supposed to lead my home. It's like, okay, I understand that intellectually, but what does that look like Monday through Sunday? I don't know what that looks like. And I had to figure it out. Now, gentlemen, that doesn't mean that I don't want to teach that to you more and more. I'm willing to do that. But you got to pursue it. You got to want it. You got to be hungry for it. Same with the women. Same with the kids. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc. 